Thank you, Raz. Thank you, worship team. Let's give these guys some encouragement for leading us into the place of glory. Yeah. So we're going to stay in a place of worship and uh, open our minds and hearts to the Word of God today. And uh, we just finished a series in Colossians, uh, Paul's letter to the church in Colossae. We, we called that Truth Grounded in Christ. And uh, today and next Sunday, we're going to look at the author of Colossians, the Apostle Paul. And we're going to do that by looking in through the book of Acts. So I'll be going through the book of Acts uh, in several places, but you can, the first verse we're going to look at is chapter 1, verse 8, so you can turn there. And we're also going to bring in some of the comments from his letters where he shares a personal observation, and we're going to try to piece that puzzle together. Uh, the inspiration for this, obviously, is what Paul just said, a trip that we took, a pilgrimage we took to Turkey and Greece just uh, last month. And uh, it was an amazing time, led by a guy named Bob Ronglian. And um, I'll put that in the weekly email. You can check out his website. But a, a, real, a real blessing to Marianne and I, him and his wife Pam. And we went with uh, five or six other pastors so here we are uh, in front of the Parthenon on the uh, Acropolis of Athens, and um, that was one of our stops. That picture kind of looks like some kind of Star Trek landing party uh, that uh, is really what was happening because we were basically walking through the past, walking through the apostles' footsteps. So... Um, that's what I did for the two-week study break I get every year, and I hope this will be a blessing uh, for you and for the, uh, for, for the people that are watching online. Um, so in Matthew 10 and Luke 10, Jesus gives instructions to his disciples to go and preach the kingdom of God, to heal the sick, to raise the dead. And then he says, uh, if you get dragged in front of magistrates, don't sweat it. I'm going to give you by the Holy Spirit the words to say. And then he said, and if they reject you, then tell them the kingdom of God has come near and shake the dust off your feet and leave. So it was a, a, a set of instructions that Jesus gave. And then just before he went back to heaven, he gave this instruction from Acts chapter 1 verse 8. And it says that the disciples were saying, hey, when does the kingdom come? When do we kick the Romans out? When do we get back to the way it used to be? And Jesus says, that's none of your business. Uh, only the Father knows about that, the time of that. But you guys are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and then you're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And what he's saying there is that the task before us now, before the kingdom can come, is for us to be witnesses. And that's not just for the disciples and the apostles, that's for all of us. And so he's also showing a pattern, start where you live and work your way out. And some of us are going to be focused on where we live right now because we're raising children and we're getting them educated. Some of us are going to be able to reach out perhaps in our workplace in the, in the greater area and where we live. Some are going to be able to go to other cultures, like Samaria was a different culture, and then some are going to get to go to the ends of the earth. But no matter what, you can be witnesses and you can be part of the mission that Jesus has given uh, these, these, uh, in these words here. 
And just notice this pattern that we're going to see throughout Paul's journey. Now, this is going to be, uh, rather than one passage of Scripture and diving into it, this is going to be a biography of Paul and uh, his journey with Jesus. We're going to do it in two parts. Uh, today, we're going to uh, start uh, uh, with his birth to the first missionary journey, and then next week from the second missionary journey till his death. But I want us to recognize that we're going to see God's grace at work. Paul was a recipient of God's grace, and he was a preacher of God's grace because he had been redeemed from a reckless uh, religious spirit that was just killing Christians, right? Uh, so he is, is the recipient of God's grace. Now, I know you may be thinking, well, I'm not the Apostle Paul, and none of us are the Apostle Paul. That's, that's right, but every single person in the Bible is there for us to have an example. Sometimes it's a bad example. Sometimes it's a good example. But uh, what I want to do is make this really relevant to each of us as we think about where we are with Jesus, as we think about God's grace, and as we think about what is our purpose here. What are we called and uh, beckoned to do? So we're going to um, uh, experience as we go through that, my hope is kingdom transformation and how to better follow Jesus. Make sense? All right, so um, footsteps of Paul, a journey with Jesus, and today's outline uh, is, uh, I think, on the next slide. So uh, birth to the first missionary journey. We're going to look at his early years, uh, his family, education, the skills, some of the things that he was really good at. Uh, we're going to talk how the Pharisee Saul meets the resurrected Jesus. Then he goes to Damascus, Arabia, and Jerusalem. We're going to briefly look at that. Then he's going to have some silent years in Tarsus. Then Barnabas brings him to Antioch, and then they go on the first missionary journey. And along the way, I've got five applications that would be hopefully very useful to you as we think about this little journey with Paul. So let's start with an estimated chronology. Now, chronologies of Paul are very difficult because there's very few fixed points um, in terms of uh, his, uh, his, the details we have about him. So this is pieced together by a bunch of scholars. Let me just run through it quickly. He's born in Tarsus. Uh, we see that in Acts 22 and Philippians 3.5. He's in a family business and he's a Roman citizen. He makes a trip to Jerusalem to study under Gamaliel, and that would typically happen somewhere around the age of 15. So the best, best students from around the Jewish world uh, would, would come and study under the big rabbis in Jerusalem. Gamaliel is the grandson of the famous rabbi Hillel. So Gamaliel is also a member of the Sanhedrin, the ruling uh, group over the Jewish uh, people. And he, it would have been expensive to go to Jerusalem and live and study under Gamaliel. And it also would have required him to be really smart. In fact, at about the age of 15, there's, there's three steps of education in, in the Jewish world. Beth Sefer is 6 to 12. 
Bet Midrash is 12 to 15, and then Bet Talmidim is 15 plus. So he would have gone somewhere around the age of 15 to Jerusalem, and he wouldn't have been invited if he hadn't memorized the entire Old Testament. And not only memorize the Old Testament, but be able to jump between passages that use the same word. And be able to, uh, the rabbi who's teaching him would spout out a word, and then they would have to spout back, uh, that's prophet Micah, that's in Zephaniah, and that's in Deuteronomy. Uh, so this, is, this guy's super smart. Uh, then uh, he becomes a Pharisee of Pharisees. There's a graduation of some sorts, and his family is multiple generation Pharisees. Uh, he would then uh, show up after the crucifixion of Jesus and the resurrection of Jesus. He shows up in Acts chapter 7 about 34 AD. He's present at Stephen's stoning when Stephen is testifying and gets stoned and killed. He then persecutes the church. Uh, we see that in Acts chapter 8. He then sees Jesus on the Damascus road, which is the, the famous moment of uh, blinded by the light and then he preaches in the synagogues in Damascus so let's add some color to that outline so this is Tarsus this next picture and it is uh, a place of limited archaeology actually you can see the old city and the, the, the modern city in the background they've excavated about 400 yards of the main road and it's a typical uh, it's a typical Roman road excavated there and uh, this uh, Tarsus is a place where there were several philosophy schools it was a center of philosophy in the Roman world and it was also a center of trade it was on the Silk Road and Paul's family Pharisees all of them had been there for three or four generations and they're all bivocational they all have uh, a trade that they do and this is where uh, Saul used uh, his background in education. He was fully Roman. He was fully Greek in terms of speaking Latin and speaking Greek. And he was fully Jewish, speaking uh, Hebrew and Aramaic. So uh, he's a very smart guy. Family is wealthy. And they have a business uh, which is a tent making business. And uh, this next picture shows you there's a special type of goat that was in the Cilician area of Tarsus that had black hair uh, that, that had very unique properties. And when you weave it into a tent or uh, a cloak or a bag or an awning, you have this product that's waterproof. And it's also, uh, in the winter, it keeps the heat in. And in the summer, it keeps the, the heat out. So think Gore-Tex. That's what he was learning. That's what he knew how to do. He could work with leather and all the other stuff, but this was the, the main unique thing, and so his family was pretty wealthy. So that brings me to application number one. Is all of your background, education, uh, your skills, the, the things that you've learned how to do over the years, uh, your business, your finance, your time, and your talent, is everything available to Jesus? Or have you somehow compartmentalized Jesus in this slice of the pie of your life? But is everything available to Jesus? Because he owns everything and he wants everything 
And as we'll see in the Apostle Paul, he uses everything, all of our backgrounds. For me, I had a background in international business, and God led me to a church with a, a very significant international missions portfolio and missions and, and spiritual footprint. So I've been able to translate those cross-cultural work experiences to cross-cultural ministry experiences. And uh, ditto for my main partner in that, Zeke Swift, who also had an international background. So God uses everything. Are we going to make it all available to him? Now, in Jerusalem, uh, we see that Paul now, uh, having become a Pharisee, graduated with Rabbi Hil uh, Gamaliel, he's probably gone back to Tarsus because if he's a Pharisee, he's got to be married and he's got to have children. Why? The Pharisees are fanatical commandment obeyers. And there are 613 commands, and the first of those commands is to be fruitful and multiply. So to be a Pharisee, you would most certainly have to be married. You would most certainly have to have children. And he's probably gone back to Tarsus to find his wife and get married and get sorted out. And, and he misses, probably, the earthly ministry of Jesus in Jerusalem. He gets squared away, and he comes back, probably around the age of 30, to take his assignment from the Sanhedrin as he is advancing in Judaism beyond his years in, uh, be, compared to everybody else. So now we find him in Acts 7 and he's persecuting Stephen. And we have the passage here as they, in Acts 7, 57 and following, as they covered their ears and yelling at the top of their, uh, at the top of their voices. This is the reaction to Stephen saying the gospel is not just for Jews, it's for Gentiles as well. They go nuts, they rush at him, they drag him out of the city, and they stone him. Meanwhile, we read that the witnesses are laying their cloaks at the feet of the uh, young man named Saul. While they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. When he had said all this, he fell asleep, and Saul approved of their killing him. On that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him, but Saul began to destroy the church, going from house to house, and he dragged both men and women and put them in prison. And he also murdered several. Now God answers Stephen's prayer in the next chapter of Acts. In chapter 9, this Saul is now on his way to Damascus on another killing mission or imprisonment mission, and he encounters the risen Christ. And he speaks to him. And what's interesting about this is Paul, Saul doesn't repent or say the sinner's prayer. He just gets smoked by Jesus. And so they, he's blinded. He's blinded. So they take him into Damascus to the house of Judas on Straight Street. By the way, the main street in Damascus is built over and is still called Straight Street. And that's what happens in these civilizations. They build the new cities on top of the old cities, and oftentimes the roads are left uh, intact in terms of direction. And he comes out of that, and he realizes that uh, he has encountered the living Christ. He receives the Holy Spirit. The scales fall off from his eyes, and 
poor eyesight for the rest of his life may be one of the consequences of the marks of Jesus on his body because he's talking about writing in big letters and on when he signs his letters but scales fall and then he spent several days with the disciples in Damascus and then at once he begins to preach in their synagogues uh, that Jesus is the son of God and here's where I want to bring my second application because the the, 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 the process that's going on with Saul is he's not converting from Judaism to Christianity. That's not what's going on in his mind. What's going on in his mind is, oh my God, he's doing something different. I thought he was going to do this, but now I realize he's doing this. And he realizes that the Son of God, which is spoken about all through the Old Testament, Proverbs, Psalms, everywhere, he realizes Wow, he's sending his son to be the king. So Jesus is the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's the king. So the, the thing that Paul is realizing now is not, oh great, I get to go to heaven when I die. That's not what he's thinking at all. What he's thinking is, oh my God, there's a king coming and there's a kingdom coming and I've totally missed it. And so now he realizes this is the biggest idea ever. So the, the application I want to bring right now is uh, the idea of how big is your gospel? If you are sharing Jesus and the benefit is the person you're sharing it with gets to go to heaven when they die or gets to have forgiveness of their sins, it can be like a private faith. It can be like this little secret that I don't have to worry about. I can just tuck that away. That's my insurance for later in life and I can go on doing what I'm doing. But Paul is saying, no, 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 no. This is the Son of God. This is the King. He's coming. The kingdom's coming. And that means everyone and everything is subject to him. All of it. So sometimes we can think of a, of a gospel that's kind of a small gospel. And by the way, being in heaven with Jesus, which is actually going to be on the earth, that is true, and that's a wonderful thing. But the bigger picture is that the whole world is going to get remade. And every single thing that's wrong with the world is going to be made right. So what we, we have is, we, we don't ha this isn't a political party. This isn't a, uh, a new idea for religious fanatics. This is like the absolute truth of what is going on in the world and what is going to happen in the world. So we have the mystery now, which is that this Jesus is not just for Jews. He's for every single person on earth, period. That is, a, that is the gospel, and it comes with power. So the other side of this is, do you experience power? Paul experienced blindness and then healing from blindness. He knew he was dealing with the real deal. He knew he was dealing with the real king. But we also should be very aware of God's power because Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, right? So if you're experiencing the power of God and you are changing and you are seeing healing and different things happening around you, then you, are, you understand what I'm talking about. If you haven't, then I encourage you to seek the whole gospel and to live the whole gospel and to receive. And we're going to have prayer teams at the end of this message for those of you who want to receive more whether it's this uh, calling, whether you want to hand over your life to Jesus and your stuff to Jesus, or whether you want to get 
the real gospel and you want to get power that comes from the Holy Spirit, this is what we're going to do today uh, as we finish this, this thing. See, this is a relevant message because all of these things happened in Paul, maybe not the Damascus Road, but these, the, what happened in his life is available to you and me. So let's sketch the rest of today's chronology to get from then to the first missionary journey. He travels to Arabia, which is kind of weird. Why are you going to Arabia? He, then there's a plot to kill him in Damascus. He visits the apostles in Jerusalem. There's a plot to kill him in Jerusalem. So they send him to Tarsus. And in Acts 9, chapter 9, verse 30. So Saul is in Tarsus, and nothing is recorded in Scripture, and it's about 10 years. And then about 10 years later, Barnabas comes uh, to Tarsus and finds Paul, and then he invites Paul to Antioch. Barnabas and Paul collaborate in Antioch, and then uh, they deliver relief, famine relief, to the church in Jerusalem, and then uh, the first missionary journey from Antioch. So in, Gal in, in 37 AD, in Galatians 1, Paul talks about three years later, we visited the apostles in, you can go back, with the apostles in Jerusalem. And then uh, down below in 48, he goes back to Jerusalem. So that's 11 years later, and that's three years after his conversion. So in Galatians, when you read, three years later, I went to Jerusalem. And then 14 years later, I went to Jerusalem. That's converted in 34, Jerusalem 37, Jerusalem again in 48. So that's how that fits together. And then you've got the first missionary journey. So let's unpack that and add some colors to that. So Paul is emphatic. His gospel in Galatians 1, his gospel, next slide, his, his gospel comes directly from God. And he didn't check with other people, and he went to Arabia. But look at this. He says, uh, who, But when God, who set me apart from my mother's womb and called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so I might preach him among the Gentiles, I didn't go consult anybody. I didn't go to Jerusalem. I went to Arabia. And later I returned to Damascus. So uh, his gospel, uh, he's speaking about this, when I was set aside in my mother's womb. That is Jeremiah language. That is Jeremiah language, Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. So Paul is now beginning to realize, I am called to be a prophetic messenger for God. So he's realizing his, his thing. Now, first thing we have to do with Arabia is define what, what are we talking about with Arabia. We're not talking about Saudi Arabia. We're talking about the Roman province of Arabia Perea. So this is a map of it. And... Uh, it starts up here. This is Damascus. It includes this whole territory, including the Sinai Peninsula, and all this part here, which is modern-day Saudi Arabia. And so uh, the king is in, is rules from the central city here of Petra. You know that from the Indy Jones movies, right? So that's where the headquarters of King Aretas and the Nabataean kingdom, which is a, he's now a vassal king of Rome. So he's collecting the taxes and everything, but he's the vassal king. And he is after Paul. And Paul is now from Damascus going down this way, which is the way that Jeremiah went into Egypt. But he's also got another thing in mind. He's got Mount Sinai in mind because he's seeing himself as a kind of Elijah or a kind of Moses. He's got to speak this 
this new gospel, this new plan that has totally consumed his life. He's got to speak about that. So he goes to Arabia, I believe, because he's checking his prophetic calling. And he's going back to where the other prophets went, and he's now beginning to realize. And this also is about three years, from 34, 35 to 37. And so this is about three years. So maybe this is his time in the desert with Jesus, catching up on the three years with Jesus he never had. We don't know. It doesn't say. But we can know for sure that God trains his leaders in the desert. If you're in a desert season right now, God is training you to, to depend on him in a greater way. He did that with Abraham. He did it with Moses. He did it with David. He did it with Jesus. And he's doing it here with Paul. And so at the end of this time, he says, as he's reviewing his suffering, second, next slide, is reviewing his sufferings in 2 Corinthians 11. And he says, in Damascus, the governor under King Aretas, that's the vassal Nabataean king, had the city of the Damascenes, Damascus, guarded in order to arrest me. But I was lowered in a basket from a window in the wall and slipped through his hands. So Paul uh, escapes and uh, he's off to Jerusalem. And then um, he comes uh, to Jerusalem. And we see in Acts chapter 4, there's this guy named Barnabas who's a Levite from Cyprus and he sells land and he gives it to the apostles Barnabas becomes a leader in the early church and uh, he is sent um, uh, he is he's drawn to Paul so here we see Barnabas sticking up with Paul for Paul in Acts chapter 9 when he came to Jerusalem he tried to join the disciples but they were all afraid of him not believing that he really was a disciple but Barnabas uh, saw what was in him and took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul in his journey had seen the Lord and the Lord had spoken to him and how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. He talked and debated with the Hellenistic Jews but they tried to kill him. Then the believers learned of this. They took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to, to Tarsus. So Paul... It now has a friend in Barnabas. That name Barnabas means son of encouragement. But the word encouragement in son of encouragement is also prophetic. There's a prophetic tinge. So I believe Barnabas is speaking to Paul. You have a calling on your life. And um, they send him to Tarsus. Why do they send him to Tarsus? That's his Jerusalem. That's where he's from. So you're, you're, you're preaching. First of all, you're preaching there's not much fruit. Everybody wants to kill you. There's something about how you're doing this that isn't working. So maybe in your hometown, you'll have better, better luck. No real fruit. So Paul goes to Tarsus. As I said, there's somewhere around 10 years of quietness now. And this is the time where he preaches the gospel. I'm sure he's preaching the gospel. It's just coming out of him to his family. You know, maybe you were a young, enthusiastic believer and you preached the gospel to your family and you got rejected. Anybody? All right. I believe that's what happens to Paul. We don't know what happens to his family. We don't know if his, he's a widower, if his wife died. We never hear about his children. The only thing we hear about is he's got a nephew uh, in Jerusalem. So we don't, he never says anything about his family. But in Romans 9, he says... 
I wish I could be cut off from God if my people would respond to the gospel. I think that cry in Romans 9 is Paul talking in part about his family that's rejected the gospel. So I, I believe it's most certainly that he had a wife. It's most certainly that he would have had kids, at least young kids, and we don't know what happened. We don't know if she died. We don't know if the family rejected him but, uh, and, and, and divorced him. We don't know that, but he's isolated. And there's some extra biblical texts that indicate when Barnabas went, he had trouble finding him, and Paul was living in a cave, alone, rejected. And the proud Pharisee is being humbled in the presence of Jesus, and he's being taught how to do things in the ways of Jesus He's refining him. So, application number three is, how do you handle rejection? How do you handle suffering? Has that rejection made you shut your mouth because of the gospel? Has it stymied you? Has it made you afraid? Well, we can see here in Paul's life, he loses everything, and he doesn't have a lot of success but he still continues to follow Jesus. And he would rather be true to the gospel and have bad technique than shut his mouth. So application three is, how are we dealing with suffering, rejection, hardship, and lack of success? You know, there's, there's been times in this assignment that I've had here for the last 17 years where the, 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 the pickings have been slim. There have been not a lot of new things going on, not a lot of new people coming to Christ, not a lot of healings. We've, we've prayed a lot uh, for all of those things, and uh, the Lord has been moving in cycles, but he's moving right now. But I know that it's him. It's not quality of oratory coming from here. It's his power. It's his presence. It's his everything. So I need to... I need to be patient. And so Barnabas is sent by the church in Jerusalem to go to Antioch and to see what's going on down there. And this church is just blowing up in Antioch. And then Barnabas knows Saul's potential. He knows his, his ability to teach. And he knows that he needs community. And he knows that he needs to give and receive from others. So he goes to Tarsus and he gets Paul. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. For a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught in great numbers of people. The disciples were called Christians first at Antioch. That word Christians there just means little Christs. Be like Christ, a little Christ. Uh, first at Antioch. During his time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. One of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. Luke puts in brackets, this happened during the reign of Claudius, which started in 49, so maybe the next year. The disciples, each one was able, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. The teacher gets exposed to the prophets and begins to, begins to be part of a healthy community where things are being done in teams. He's not a solo operator anymore. He's on a team now. And he begins to, he begins to grow. So he returns to Antioch 
after going to Jerusalem. There's a full story about that in Galatians 2. I don't have time for that this morning, but you can check that out. Then he comes back, and this is where they will be set apart for the missionary journey. And he's going to go from Antioch on the bottom right there. They're going to go to Cyprus. They're going to go up to Perga. They're going to go up to Pisidian, Antioch, over to Iconium, Lystra, and Derby, And then they're going to work their way back by boat and come back. Uh, so let's take a quick sketch of this first missionary journey. When Barnabas, it, Acts 12, 25, when Barnabas and Saul had finished their mission, that was the mission to bring them famine relief to Jerusalem. They returned from Jerusalem, taking with them John, also called Mark. This is a relative of Paul's, a, a relative of Barnabas's, sorry, and also Peter's somehow. Now in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manaen, who had been brought up with the Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So you've got... Uh, You've got a black man, you've got a Arab uh, or Berger man, you've got a uh, rich white boy, and then you've got Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So that after they had fasted and prayed, they prayed, put their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, and they went with John Mark, uh, went by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia, which is just seven miles down from Antioch. It's the port of Antioch. And so that's the spirit of Antioch, which lives, lives well in this church. We have a big missions portfolio. It's a, something that the Lord has given us. And uh, so we say the spirit of Antioch is alive and well here at Marymount. So they go off, and why do they go to Cyprus? Well, that's Barnabas's Jerusalem. So here's a picture of the remains of the Roman dock at Seleucia. That's all there is left, about 100 big stones. And uh, right ahead is Cyprus. So they sailed from that very spot. They go to Cyprus. And um, in Cyprus, we have Paul's first recorded disciple. And I don't have time to look at that story, but it's Acts 13, 6 to 12. And uh, here's what happens. There's a there's a, a, a false prophet that is talking to Sergius Paulus, who's the governor of Cyprus. And Paul basically says to him, you're, you're evil, you're going to be blind. And, and God makes him blind, right there. And Sergius Paulus sees this, sees the power, and hears the story, and gives himself to Christ. The first disciple, the first Gentile believer in Paul's ministry and so they then leave Cyprus and they go to Perga. That's across the bay into the mainland of southern Turkey. Uh, this is a pagan, wealthy, sexualized, blood sport city, culture. 12,000 feet mountains all around. And John Mark basically says, I didn't sign up for this. So he quits. This is what Perga looks like today. Very rare that you see this. Uh, huge city. This is the shopping district, the main road, the cardio. On the right, you're going that way. On the left, you're going this way. And in the middle, there's an artificial river that is basically air conditioning the shopping area. Uh, so this is Perga. Uh, they preach there. You don't talk very much about Perga. Then they go on to their next spot, which is Pisidian Antioch. This is what it would have looked like in their time, the big gates. This is what it looks like now. Reminds us that all the stuff we're building here is eventually going to go away 
and uh, we're, we're gonna, what we have left is what we have that is eternal. Uh, so anyway, Paul uh, here preaches. Now the obvious choice for Paul is not to go inland into the mountains. The obvious choice is for him to go to Ephesus. That was the major city in the area. But for some reason, he went to Pisidian Antioch. Well, when they excavated this city, they found an inscription that indicated Sergius Paulus was an official also in that city. So a lot of scholars think that when Sergius Paulus came to Christ, he said to Paul, please go to Pisidian Antioch and witness to my family. So he probably wrote him a letter of introduction or something. That's why he goes to this place a bit out of the way. It's not uh, the, the first choice, but... Uh, he, he learns in Antioch, Pisidian Antioch, he learns to build a bridge when he's sharing the gospel. He, he, he covers some ground, and it's just amazing, uh, the response. And the Jews, a couple of them come to Christ, but most of them reject it, and tons of Gentiles come to Christ. Now, this is the first major harvest that Paul is experiencing, and it's because he's learned uh, to speak about the gospel in a way that builds a bridge rather than simply being confrontational and intellectual and uh, argumentative, he learns. And his talk is in Acts uh, 13. Almost the whole city hears him speak. And uh, that brings me to application number four. Paul is learning over time how to share the gospel how to talk about the kingdom, how to talk about Jesus. And so my question is, are you learning and growing in how you are sharing the gospel, how you are speaking to people about the kingdom of God, about Jesus? And all of us should be on a journey of uh, trying, learning, adapting, changing, trying again, learning, adapting, changing, trying again. Why? Because it's important. If people don't hear, they're going to an eternity without Jesus, right? That's what's going to happen to them. So we need to speak. We need to speak. That's where faith comes from hearing. So we can do good deeds and we can be a blessing to our communities, but we have to speak the gospel. And each of us is responsible to learn how to do that more skillfully over time. That's our individual calling because we are to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Well, we have to, you know, if you're going into a Supreme Court as a witness, or you're going into a court as a witness, you're going to prepare, right? You're not just going to wing it. You're going to think through what you're going to say. That's the same thing. God wants to work with us and give us the words, but we can't get better unless we have at-bats. You can't get better unless you have at-bats. So, uh, if, if, there's a, if there's a skill, if there's a training you need, let me know. We will give training so that people, each of us, can learn how to do it. And the gospel, Paul knows now, is going to bring a negative response from the Jews and a positive response from the Gentiles, and there's going to be persecution. That happens in Pisidian Antioch. It also happens in Iconium. In Acts 13, we read this. When the Gentiles heard the gospel, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders 
incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet. That's what Jesus told them to do as a warning to them. And they went to Iconium and the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Even being rejected, they were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit because some had come to the Lord. Iconium, same thing happens. After Iconium, they go to Lystra. This is the, what Lystra looks like today. It's an unexcavated tell. It's the home of Timothy, who's going to come to Christ sometime between now and the next missionary journey. And Paul is going to meet him on the second missionary journey. But here, uh, Paul heals a lame man. And again, a demonstration of the power of the gospel. He heal, heals a lame man. And by the way, as I finish the message in a few minutes, anybody here needing healing, we're going to be praying for healing because as we were praying this morning, we felt the Lord say, I want to heal. And someone specifically said, right knee, inner right knee. Ligament, something wrong with your inner right knee. Uh, somebody had that uh, yesterday at our retreat and were healed. And I think God wants to do more healing. So if you've got anything going on, in your body that needs healing come up for healing prayer uh, anyway they uh, do not uh, receive Paul uh, there's an attempt and Paul is taken outside and stoned and uh, Paul survives that stoning miraculously and, and he sees that kingdom power has come and they go on to Derby, and then they work their way back home so the last passage I'm going to look at today uh, is uh, Acts 14, 21 to 28. They preached the gospel in that city, Derby, and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. There's the suffering theme again. Uh, Paul and Barnabas appointed elders for them in each church, and with prayer and fasting committed them to the Lord in whom they had put their trust. This is the pattern of biblical eldership that we follow here. And after going through Pisidia, they came into Pamphylia. When they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Italia. That's a port on the south side. And from Italia, they sailed to Antioch, where they had been committed to the grace of God for the work they had now completed. On arriving there, they gathered the church together and reported all that God had done through them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So Paul is learning to live and minister like Jesus as a part of a team, going out not alone, but with a team, uh, preaching the kingdom, uh, expecting God's power to come, perfecting uh, his uh, ability ability to preach the gospel, changing and learning, uh, taking the suffering and the rejection that comes with that. And uh, so, uh, but here we see Barnabas and the church in Antioch figuring largely in Paul's life. So the, the final application I have for today is, do you have a Barnabas? Do you have someone who's a running mate that you can run with, that you can walk with? And I'm encouraging, I think married couples are great teams. And we see that in the scriptures. But I'm also encouraging you women to have a, a Barnabas, another woman to run with, and you men to have another man to run with. 
And then you also need an Antioch. You need a healthy community. You can't do the Christian journey on your own. Paul tried that and ran into a brick wall. And so that, that's the final application. So uh, that's kind of a quick summary of part one. Uh, I'm going to put the applications up that I've shared during this time. Worship team, come on up. We're going to have a time of worship and uh, prayer. And um, I'd like to have uh, three prayer teams uh, come up, one on each side and one up front here. Um, and I'd like you to uh, be ready to pray for any of these areas. But I'm going to pray right now as, uh, as we conclude. You know, in, in Luke 9.24, Jesus said, if you try to save your life, you're going to lose it. But he said, if you lose your life for me, you will save it. And it's that, that awesome wisdom of Jesus to say, if you want to design your life and keep it comfortable, um, you know, you're going you're gonna to lose it. It's, you know, it reminds me of the guy who wanted the perfect place to live in 1980, and he moved to the Falkland Islands, thinking that was perfect. Two years later, there's a big war in the Falkland Islands. Who has a war in the Falkland Islands? Gets his house blown up. We can't manage and, and design our life. The only thing that's safe is to run after Jesus and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And that's where we're going to come into the joy of the kingdom and our calling to be witnesses. So, Father, I just thank you for this morning. I thank you for the things you taught me in Turkey and Greece. And I pray now that you would uh, speak into each person's heart who's here or who's uh, online, that you would uh, move in your power. Point out the things that you're doing, that you want to do. And Lord, let us be those that are hungry and willing um, to let you have your way. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe Steve and Judy, Brandon and Laura, you guys can pray. And um, Mike and Lisa, would you mind praying on this side? Thank you. Let's worship the Lord and Let's come for more. If you want more, come and let's receive prayer.